out of that, so thank you very much. Well, I want to speak today about how great God is. So you can grab your Bibles, give a hand at the same time. And uh, as we do, as you get your Bibles, if you can uh, maybe get that DVD ready. It's a short clip that I want to play from Michael W. Smith, and it's just a section of, of, uh, of his CD where he just quotes Scripture, and it is just incredibly beautiful. And so what I'd like to ask is right now, if we can have all the lights off, and if we can just play that little clip, and if you can just make sure we can hear all the words. Thanks, guys. The Lord, you search me. You know when I'm sick in my eyes. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out my lying down, and you are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hang me in behind the Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too long for me to be. So, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there too. Or if I rise in the winds of the dawn, or set away in the waters of the sea. Surely the darkness will hide me and the light will come night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light. For you, section of Michael W. Smith's CD. It's just one of those where I can see spiritual life in him. I often have to deal with Christian artists, and uh, when I see things like that, my, my heart is moved. Would you take up your Bible and turn to Psalm 139? I'd like to read it again. This time, let's follow. And if you've got your Bible with you, I'm sure it will be an encouragement to you. Psalm 139, the psalm of David. David was a weak man. He failed. 
he sinned. But yet God said of him, this is a man after my own heart. Psalm 139 verse 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in from behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me, and such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the other side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand, and when I awake, you are still with me. Verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We must, you must admit we serve a great God. And I'm here to encourage you in your confidence in your great God today. God is a great God. He is the creator of the universe, yet he is interested in each one of us. In fact, he is intimately familiar with the goings-on of our lives. And He is a great God, yet He desires that we would be connected with Him. He offers us eternal life so that we can spend all of eternity with Him. Yet, He is intimately aware of our hopes and our dreams and our fears. He cares for us and watches us. He loves us and extends His grace to us. We truly serve a wonderful God. And it's for these reasons that He does not tolerate it when we place other things before Him. And we want to look at how great is our God. Point number one. If you're writing notes, you can take down the points. Point number one. No one compares to God. No one and nothing compares to God. And these are some of the basic theological bases of our Christian faith. No one compares. Nothing compares 
to our God. And in all of God's greatness, there is nothing and no one that can compare to Him. He's the beginning and the end, and nothing that life has to offer can compare to Him. He is glorious and full of wonder. Nothing can compare to Him. There's an old hymn that we love to, I love to sing. It goes like this, just one line. It says, And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And if the things of the earth are still a huge fascination to you, then I don't know whether the glory and the grace has really been a reality to you. And that's the important thing, that we would discover His glory and His grace. There's nothing that can compare to our God. He is greater than the greatest human being, He is greater than the greatest human achievement. He is surer than the highest mountain. He is greater than the greatest understanding we may have of how big our universe is. But you know what we do? We always want to reduce him to manageable terms. We want a recipe. We want to be able to put a start and an end When God says, I hem you in, he doesn't say, you hem me in. But boy, do we hem him in. I want God to work, and he must work now. I want God to work, and he must do it in this way. We are the ones hemmed in by him. He's not hemmed in by us. And don't hem him in. But boy, we like to do that. We like to be able to understand things. And so we want to compare. We try and make a comparison. But Job wrote, in the midst of all his suffering, he wrote in Job 36 and verse 26, he says, How great is God beyond our understanding. Beyond our understanding. And so never reduce God to the box size that suits you. And I went to look what the definition is of the word great. And it says, notably large in size, large in number or measure, or remarkable in magnitude and effectiveness. And I thought, that's my God. Remarkable in magnitude and effectiveness. And you see, the problem is, we, we human beings, we need to take our own created words to try and explain God. Because we have nothing else. So we will take human words and then we'll try and apply them to God to get a glimpse of how great He is. And that's okay. But the problem is it's limiting. It limits things. It makes Him smaller than He is. And I don't want to do that today and I wanted to start off by saying there is no one and nothing that compares to our God. And you see, down through the years, the writers and the, the hymn writers and the psalmists, and they've tried to take human words to help us grasp this concept. And one of my favorite hymns is a hymn called The Love of God. And there's a verse right at the end, and it says these words, Could we the ink, could we with ink the oceans fill? And were the skies of parchment made? And every stalk 
on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. And you know, whoever wrote those words must have had an understanding. Because it's just so magnificent. He goes on in the chorus, he says, The love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and the angels' songs. So firstly, no one and nothing compares to our God. Secondly, he was, he is, and he always will be. Point number two, he was, and he is, and he always will be. And you see, that's also difficult for us to understand. We live in a created world. Everything around you is created. All of God's creation is created. He created us and breathed life into us. And human beings create things every day. Everything is created. So we live in a world where everything is created, and God lives in a world where everything is. And how do we understand that? How can we begin to understand that? How can we begin to grasp that? Well, Moses was uh, wandering around the desert until he bumped into a burning bush one day. And he even wanted an explanation. And it says in Exodus uh, 3 and verse 14, it says, And God said to Moses, I am who I am and what I am, and I will be what I will be. He said, you shall say this to the Israelites, I am has sent you. Not I was, or I will be, I am. And you see, the problem with our lives is there's a definite start and there's a definite end. With God, there is no such thing. He is. And I remember as a child, begging my father to tell me, where does God come from and how did he get there? And if there's a father, where's his father? And it plagued me as a little boy. I wanted to know. I I wanted to understand. And even to this day, I don't fully understand. But I've had to come to that place in my heart where God is big. And me is small. (laughs) And me see things this way. You see things that way. And God, she sees things. And... And this is, this is just an encouragement. You, you know, we think in momentary and temporary terms, God is eternal and everlasting. We cannot grasp this concept. Do you know that the word everlasting, what does everlasting mean? Say that again. Forever. Permanent. That's Everlasting. Your only understanding of everlasting is the concept of long-lasting. We can't understand everlasting because we live with a definite start and a definite end. So for us, everlasting is long-lasting. Have you thought about that? But the truth of the matter is that everlasting is eternal. And it's, it's not long-lasting. I remember when my father died. After he died, I was walking around the garden one day and it came like a revelation that I will never see my father again. And that my father is gone 
forever. And it was like, huh? Until I realized that forever was maybe 40 years for me. That's as long as it was. Never was maybe 40 years for me, maybe a little bit longer. And you see, that's the problem because everlasting to us, we can only think of long-lasting. Everlasting is something completely different. And I want to just open that up to you today and say, He was and He is and He always will be. He is not long-lasting. He is everlasting and there's a great difference. It says in Psalm 46 and verse 10, it says, Be still and know. It doesn't say, Be still and question. It says, Be still and know. Come to an understanding that I am God. As human beings, we want clarity on every single matter. And on this matter, we've got to understand that He is God. I remember as a child going to Sunday school, I always wanted to I wanted people to explain to me what was eternity, how long was eternity, you know, all of those dimensions. And I think I used to drive my Sunday school teachers crazy because I would ask all the difficult questions that there was no answers for. And one day my Sunday school teacher came to me and he said, I'm going to tell you how long eternity is. Oh, I was so glad. He said, if you take a big brass ball the size of the earth, and he says, once a year, once a year, a little mossy flies past and brushes that large brass ball with its wing. Once a year. He says, by the time the mossy has worn the ball down, eternity has only just begun. <laughs> well, it helped me. It, it helped me because sometimes we want that clarity. And it helped me as a little boy to be able to understand that God is just big. That He is everlasting. And that I can have eternal life with Him. Not long life with Him. Not a couple more years after this life. An eternal life with Him. Help me to understand. Point number three. God is self-sufficient. Now, the funny thing about us human beings is, oh, do we want to be self-sufficient? Oh, I tell you, we plan our lives to be self-sufficient. We plan our lives, we're going to depend on nobody. I remember my step-grandmother telling me one day, I've got broad shoulders, I can carry it all. And I tell you, we, we, we want to be self-sufficient. And in everything we do, we, we want to be self-sufficient. And when we're young and strong and full of energy, we know we can be self-sufficient. And then when we get a bit older, then we suddenly, oof. my mother called us in about two or three years ago, and she, she said she wanted to have a family meeting. And she said, I want to know what you're going to do with me if something goes wrong with me. <laughs> so I said, oh, that's no problem. We'll just cross that bridge when we get to it. She said, thank you very much. I'm moving into retirement village. <laughs> and in a sense, you know, we want to be self-sufficient. But we know. And as we go along with life, we discover we're not self-sufficient. God is self-sufficient. And the difficult thing for us to, um, to understand is that 
in a very real sense, God doesn't need us. But he chooses to use us. That's the beauty. He chooses. He's the great God. And he chooses to use us. And he wants to use each one of us. And he is self-sufficient. And we have to come to the point where we realize that we are dependent. Absolutely dependent. And it's a hard thing for us to understand that we need to be or come to that place of dependency. Also, after my father died, there was a, a great doctor in the city by the name of Friek Stein. And this man was concerned for my father's sons because perhaps this condition was genetic. And maybe we stood the same risk. So he offered and phoned and volunteered to to have a look at and check us out. And so we all went in and met with him. And uh, he then, on his desk, had a model of a heart that he could take the different sections off. And he could show us, you know, how the heart works and how things function. And, and he, was, he was explaining to us so that we could understand. And he sent us for tests and all sorts of things. Unfortunately, it all came back that none of us had that condition. And so it wasn't, uh, wasn't really an issue. But he made a comment. He said, for you to have one normal day, there are thousands of things that have to work perfectly. For you to have one normal day, there are thousands of things that have to work perfectly. And you just have to have one day where something doesn't work right. And boy, do we realize how much and how weak we are and how much we need God. And A.W. Tozer said the following, and I quote, he said, Let him be the God in our minds that he is in his universe. It's out of that box. And God wants us to trust him. And we need to trust him. When we realize how great he is, it makes it easier for me to trust him. Point number four. God is infinite. There is no end to him. Often hear people write to me to say, God has forgotten about me. He's too busy with other things. But there's no end to God. He is immeasurable and inconceivable. And he knows no limitation. And we are limited in every way, but God is limitless in every way. There's no end to him. And human beings, we're always trying to measure. We're always trying to measure everything. And again, when I was a little boy, I wanted to know what was the biggest number you could get. I wanted to know. Somebody must please tell me, what is the biggest number? Tell me what the biggest number is. And again, my teachers, and oh, here we go again. And, but I wanted to know, is it a trillion? Is it, what is it? What is the biggest, biggest number? And there was a, a friend of our family, Sam Olson. He's a scientist today working in Norway. He eventually figured out an answer for this young man. And he said, there's no such thing as the biggest number. Because no matter how big the number is, you can always add one to it. And to me, no matter how big things are, how disastrous things are, there's always one who you can add to your equation. There is always one who is greater. There is always one who has the final word. There is always one whom you can trust. 
There's always one that can be added. God is infinite. It says in Romans chapter 11 and verse 33, I'm just going to read, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unfathomable are His judgments and His decisions. How untraceable, mysterious, and undiscoverable are His ways, His methods, and His paths. And you see, God is infinite and endless. We speak about endless opportunities. What do we mean? Lots. Lots is about as much as we can understand about endless. But with God, it's endless. It's more than lots. There's no end. There's no end. And measurement describes limitation. And human beings have created measurement so that we can understand the limitations. We mustn't apply that to God. Because He knows no limitation. We must not limit God, but we often do. Point number five. In all of God's greatness, He wants first place in our lives. In all of God's greatness, He wants first place in our lives. When we don't give Him first place and other things are allowed to have first place, it's called idolatry. I went and looked up the word idolatry. And it means the worship of a physical object as a god, which we understand. But it also means an immoderate attachment or devotion to something. That's idolatry. And when something gets bigger than God in our lives, whether it's our looks, or our appearance, or our strength, or our finances, or our family, or something gets bigger than God, if the problem gets bigger than God, that's idolatry. And I want to tell you, in, God, in, in all of this greatness of God, God wants first place. Do you know that David, he sinned? He committed adultery. He committed murder. He was corrupt because he manufactured a situation where the, the, the husband of Bathsheba could be killed. And yet, in all of that, God loved him. And, and at the end, God says to him, he's a man after my own heart. But Saul was a different kettle of fish. Saul thought he knew better. Saul heard what the instruction from God was and then did what he thought was best. To the point where one day he goes and consults with a medium. And his life was destroyed. Because he placed something above God. Something greater than God. And he did it once. Today he is remembered as a failure. A man who ended his own life a failure. Because he put something before God. And I want to tell you, when we put something before God, when we say, okay, no, this is before, we make something bigger, we must be careful. I think David understood this. God was so big to David. He didn't limit God, but he was weak and he failed. And God was able to forgive him and, 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 and use him in a remarkable way. And I want to encourage you, 
Give Him first place in your life. Let Him be the first love of your life. And lastly, I want to encourage you with point number six that I've just called, Return to Me. And I believe there comes a season of turning and returning. The story of the prodigal son is an example. Here the prodigal son lives with his father. He's got everything. Got everything. But now he knows better. So he takes his money, he takes his goods, and off he goes. And what happens to him? He's destroyed. Destitute. And one day while he's feeding the pigs, he thinks, no, but my my father's servants have a better life than me. I'm going to go back. And and that's exactly what he does. But I tell you one thing, when we run away and pursue things and put things above God, we end up with destitution of soul. Destitution of soul. Where we are dead, stone dead on the inside. And God seems so far away. And everything else seems to be going so well. It's just not for us. And I want to encourage you today to return. And I endeavor to return regularly because I have got my weaknesses and my failings and I I need to return to God regularly. And uh, being away from God, our Father, will end you up destitute of soul. And I believe this message is challenging today. Isaiah 31 and verse 6, the last scripture, it says, Therefore, O my people, come, return to God. And I just felt today, you know, in the, in the, in the hecticness, hecticness of life and in the, the challenges that the country and the world has been facing in the last period of time, is God still big for you? Is anything still possible with Him for you? Is He still all-powerful, almighty? Is He still the one that compares to no one? Is He still the one who is? Is He the self-sufficient one on whom you can rely? Is He the one who has endless of everything that you can draw on? I believe the answer is yes. But maybe you've begun to depend on your own, your own resources or your own ideas or your own desperation or plan B, C, D, E, and F. And I believe God is calling us back. Mom, do you want to come and play that song for us? The love of God is greater far. Because God is great. And won't you just take a moment and say, God, forgive me for trying to keep you in the box of the things that I can understand. Because you are a great God. Forgive me, Lord. If you've limited God today, and you've allowed other things perhaps to have an undue place in your life, would you stand with me so that we can pray? love of God is greater far. Lord, we come to you today and firstly we repent. We say, Heavenly Father, forgive us for limiting you, for placing you in a box, for prescribing to you as to how you should move or what you should do. 
Today, Lord, we humble ourselves and we declare with our mouths that you are great. That there is no end to your greatness. No situation beyond your reach. No life you cannot restore. And your love goes on and on and on. Lord, we resist and reject idolatry in our lives. And we declare today that you are our God, our first love. And we give you first place in our lives. We recognize that we need you. And so we place our hand in your hand today. And we pray, Lord, that you will reveal to us how great you are. And Lord, that you would do the unexpected. Some of us are standing at a Red Sea today, Lord. The sea is in front. The enemy is behind and we're stuck. But you are a great God. It is nothing for you to remove the obstacle. It's nothing for you to turn the situation around. But in our minds, we say you are great. We recognize you, Lord, as a great God. And Jesus, you are a mighty Savior. So we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that if we could write about your greatness right across the sky, we would never be able to explain just how great you are. And so we just open our hearts to our great God today and we say, would you come receive us as your sons and daughters today? We return to you. We return to our place of hope. Our hope is in you. Our confidence is in you. Whether we're young and strong or old and weak, our confidence is in you today. Our strength is in you today. And so, Lord, I pray a blessing on every person here today, Lord. I pray that they will begin to understand how great you are and that they will never limit you in the process. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We serve a great God. Listen, have a great week. Enjoy all the sports. The public holiday on Wednesday. We'll see you next Sunday.